Hello, TLR. How y'all doing? Yeah, hello. Uh, hey, my name is Matt. If I don't know y'all, uh, my name is Matt Hayes. I get to lead inside out here with Sox City, and I love the one cheer that I got in the room for that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It made me feel good about myself. Thank you. Uh, but listen, whether you are here because you're in a small group, you're watching online, uh, all of you, I am so excited that I get to hang out with y'all. Uh, this this is one of my absolute favorite environments, favorite places. The fact that you have this while you're in college is such a big deal. Uh, I didn't get to have that when I was in college. Um, but I want to uh, have a little bit of a dialogue with you tonight. Samer asked me to continue in this series called Walk It Like I Talk It. And so we're gonna jump in again to the book of James uh, to find some wisdom that he's gonna have for us and how we live. But I thought I'd start off with a little interaction. So this is a game we're gonna play. You can play here as a group. You can play if you're watching online, if you're by yourself. You can play in your own head, it's fine. We're gonna play a little game, some little Bible trivia. I'm just gonna ask some questions. I need to know if you know it. We're gonna get your mind sharp and thinking for tonight. So first question, if you know it, you can yell it out. You can yell it to the screen, but um, yeah, that's just for you, okay? So first question, let's ask if maybe you know this. Uh, how many books are in the Bible, anybody? We got some scholars in the room. That's good. There's 66 books in the Bible. If you got that at home, ding, good job. You get a point. Uh, let's try another one, maybe a little harder. Uh, what are the two primary languages that we see the Bible written in? See, I got a girl that time. We got a, the dudes up in the front are like, Greek and Hebrew. All right, calm down. It's not that, it's not that hard. Uh, yes, Greek and Hebrew, two languages. Good job. You got that at home. Uh, another one. Uh, what are the names of the four gospels? Yell it out. Okay, I think down here you got it first. That's good. Uh, you have a prize. It's a congratulations. Good job if you got it at home too. Nice, good job. Uh, last one, maybe you know this one. What are the first three words of the Bible? In the beginning. Now listen, if you got none of these right, I promise you, you've missed nothing. It doesn't matter. But to me, when I was a kid, it was super important. And I remember that last question especially. What are the first three words of the Bible? I was 10 years old. We had just gone to church and after church as a family, uh, we went to the grocery store and all of a sudden over the intercom, somebody comes on and says, and hello, we're gonna have a little bit of trivia today and we're gonna have Bible trivia because it's Sunday. And if you're, thinking, if you're thinking like, where in the world did you grow up and what grocery store is this and how do I make sure I don't go there? It's totally fine. But I, at 10 years old, was so excited because over the intercom, they say, if you can get to concierge first and tell us what are the first three words of the Bible, we have a prize for you. And as a 10 year old, I sprinted. I was like, I know it, I got this. Like, I'm, I'm gonna win this game. I never win anything, I'm gonna win this one. And so I ran to concierge and I said, in the beginning. And they were like, congratulations. And I, they may have given me like a starburst. I don't know, I don't remember. All I knew is how proud I was that I knew that answer. And maybe tonight you're like, yeah, you were a nerd. Let's just call it what it is. You probably didn't have many friends. Um, I like to think I did, but I, I, I felt like I knew all the answers. I had this knowledge, this intellect. I was uh, exposed to the Bible, to spirituality, to Christianity. I was exposed to this early on. And maybe you're sitting here thinking like, that's great for you, that wasn't me. Maybe you're like, yeah, that's exactly me. Um, but here's what I wanna talk about tonight that, that's so good, is regardless of whether you know someone who is a like, super know-it-all about everything, especially the Bible, or you're the person who was the know-it-all, or maybe you're like, I don't have any idea about what questions you just asked. I don't even know what a gospel is. You just spoke some foreign language to me, like that Hebrew or Greek. Maybe you got questions, maybe you got doubts. 
what I want to talk about tonight is something that I think right-sizes the playing field because it's something true for all of us. It's a tension that we all live in. Regardless of how much spiritual intellect we have, we all live in the exact same tension, every one of us. And it's this. This is the tension we live in all the time, and I'm going to show you why. We live in the tension of what we should do versus what we want to do. We all do this, whether you know it or not. And this isn't even a spiritual thing. This is everyday life. We do this, right? I, I should study. You're like, <laughs> who does that? I should study, but I'd rather play another hour of Xbox. That was me in college. Like, it, it's great. I should wake up early and have some disciplined diligence in my life. But I think I'd rather, yeah, I want to just sleep till lunch. But then if you sleep till lunch, doesn't it become breakfast? Because it's your first, yeah, it's fine, right? We all want to do this. I should go to the gym, but I want to eat the entire pint of Jenny's, right? I, I know I'm not the only one. I should save some money, but I want to buy that other pair of shoes. I know I have 24, but I don't have these. Like, we play this game all the time. What I should do versus what I want to do. Those are trivial. Maybe it gets a little bit more personal. Maybe it gets a little bit more serious. I should be kind to this person. But man, all I want to do is bury their reputation because you have no idea the pain it caused me. I, I should be respectful to the authorities in my life and to my parents and to those above me, but all I really want to do is rebel. What I really want to do is look at you and say, you have no idea what you're doing. Who are you? You're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. I should be honest, but I think I'd rather, yeah, I want to lie to make myself appear better. I want to put on a facade. I want to make sure that people know I'm likable. I'm worthy of their attention. And maybe this is some of you. Tonight, we, we should ask for help, but we want to run to that substance or we want to run to that drink or run to that person. We want to cross those boundaries. We live in a constant tension of what we should do versus what we want to do. All of us, all the time. And this was me growing up. I lived in this world of what I should do versus what I want to do all the time. And see, that's what we really do because all of this tension we feel ultimately boils down to this. We wanna do what I want. I don't wanna do what anybody else says. I wanna do what I want. This is baked into all of us. We wanna do what we want. That's what I did growing up. I may have known all the answers. I may have had all the spiritual intellect. I may have been the kid with no friends sometimes. But I was always doing what I wanted to do. I was driven by this, this moral compass of knowing what I should do, but really choosing what I want to do. And it played out in every part of my life. It played out with my family, the tension I experienced there. It played out in my relationships, the dating relationships that I was in, especially growing up. It played out with my friends in school, with my future and my choices, constantly in the battle of figuring out, okay, I get that there's options, but I just wanna do what I want. And then when I was 17 years old, I'm in a relationship, been dating for a few years, and you're like, yeah, but that was high school. <laughs> you're a child. I get it, but you know what it's like when you're in high school and you've been in a serious relationship. You don't know what the other side of that is. You hadn't been to college yet. You haven't broken your bubble. To you, this is the end all be all. This is the top of your list. This is everything. And I'm in a serious relationship and I'm 17 and I'm, I'm constantly living out what I want to do versus what I think I should do. 
And I even had an idea maybe of like, not even what I should, but what's best for me. And I'm still choosing what I want to do all the time. And I'm 17 years old, I was at summer camp, did not expect it, did not wanna be there, didn't know anybody on that trip. But there, sitting there, on the third night, I met God. I had an interaction with this person I'd known about, but now there was this, this moment where I met him and I got to know him and I was challenged with something that I think is the real truth for all of us. See, we, we live in the tension of what we should do versus what we wanna do, but for me, all of a sudden, it became not just what I should do, but really it became what I wanna do versus what God wants me to do. This is the tension for all of us. Even if you're not aware it, this is the tension that you live in. We are always living inside this tension of what God wants us to do versus what we want to do. And we may be aware that we have a moral compass guiding us to make good or bad decisions, the right or the wrong decision, but really that moral compass is placed there by God. And so it's this idea of what I wanna do versus what does God want me to do? And so I remember going into the rest of the next season of my life in college, being someone who had a lot of spiritual intellect, but now faced with the option of what do I do with my faith? I said I had faith, but was my lifestyle actually backing it up? Was it actually matching in any possible way what I thought I knew to be true versus what I was actually doing in my life? This is our tension. And this is what we're talking about. If we say we wanna be someone who walks it like we talk it, if that's the thing that we want to describe ourselves with, that we've got a real faith, then we've got to evaluate the things we're doing and really we've got to evaluate the things that even we know. Again, maybe you don't have the spiritual intellect that I had. Maybe you know some people that are like that. Maybe you've got questions. Maybe you've got doubts. But really the thing that I think I was faced with in this moment, 17, right when I started to get into college, is this. Is knowing about God is it enough? Is knowing about God enough? Is having a spiritual intellect enough for you? Can you actually walk it like you talk it if you know about God? Because a lot of us know a lot about God. Whether you are fully aware, whether you pursue it, or whether it's just part of our culture, we all know a lot about God, and is that enough? And so I wanna jump into the book of James because James is going to talk to a group of people who are just like me, who had a large spiritual intellect. But he starts talking to them about what faith looks like and how they're supposed to live their life. And this guy, Eugene Peterson, presents the entire idea of what James chapter four is all about. He gives it a title. He says, this whole chapter is about getting serious. What does it look like to get serious in your faith? It's time to buckle up. If you say, I wanna walk it like I talk it, then it's time to get serious. And so what I'd like to do is to walk through James chapter four, to think about this question and to think about this tension that we live in and what it actually is going to mean for us and what it's gonna mean for you and the choices that you make and how you choose to live your life. And what I wanna do is I wanna take you through James chapter four through the message version. So the message is a transliteration of the Bible. So we take the translation of the Greek and the Hebrew, we take the translation of the Greek that James was written in, and then Eugene Peterson takes it and he transliterates it into our language. 
So as we read it, it's going to hit home and be like, yeah, that makes sense. There's no hath, how, do, art, thouest. Like, we're, we're done with that stuff. Let's make it real. Let's get honest. Let's talk about what it actually looks like to listen to the words that James is saying. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, is presenting this letter to people, to these Jewish Christians, the first Jewish Christians, to figure out how they can live their life with maturity, how they can live their life honestly, and how they can live a life that says, yeah, I'm gonna walk like a talking. So in the message version, we start in in verse one of chapter four. Look at what he says, because let me just give you a, a preface. He's gonna go in really hard. Like, Like, you might have your buttons pushed a little bit tonight. You might feel like your toes are gonna get stepped on a little bit. Maybe you got some fresh white kicks and you don't want that to happen like me, so maybe you wanna back up. I get it, you're gonna have a little bit of resistance to maybe what's gonna be spoken tonight. But if you're honest and if you're vulnerable and if we can get real, I think there's gonna be a lot about our life we're gonna get to evaluate. So look at what he says, James chapter four, starting in verse one. He says, where do you think all these appalling wars and these quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? And he's talking about this idea of our tension, the tension that we all live in, what we should do versus what we wanna do, these quarrels, these battles. And it's not even just within ourselves, it's with other people, that they've got something that I want, right? Back to it again. They got something that I want, so I'm gonna go and make sure I get whatever it is that I want, even if it's at their cost, I'm gonna do whatever is best for me. Do you think that they just happen? And he's like, no, don't be an idiot. No, think again. They don't just happen. No, there's a reason behind this. He says, they come about because you want your own way. And you're like, "Uh, okay, don't stop calling me out, James. Sweet Jesus, that's your brother. Can we actually talk about this? No, they come about because you want your own way. And here it is. And you fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have, and you are willing to kill to get it. And you're like, slow down, no I don't. I'm not that type of person, I don't kill to get it. And you're like, okay, but hang on. But maybe in your mind, you're willing to do whatever it takes to get what it is that you want. Have you ever compromised on something? You ever been in a relationship and you realize that tension exists of what I should do versus what I wanna do, maybe what God wants me to do versus what I wanna do, and you really wanna play out what you wanna do, and so you're willing to compromise everything you know to be true to find what actually it is that you wanna do? Maybe you compromise your relationships, maybe you're willing to, to do things that you never actually do physically, but in your mind you're like, yeah, okay, I'm willing to do that because I really want that. Whether it's trivial like a pint of ice cream or it's far more real, like a relationship or a future or an opportunity. It says, these are the things that we do because we want our own way. It's all of us. And now here's where, get ready, buckle up, because James is going in. It says, you wouldn't just think to actually ask God for it, that thing that you want, would you? And you're like, stop it. I don't want the passive aggressiveness, okay? You need to calm down. I'm not around my grandmother anymore. I'm out of that season. Stop asking me these rhetorical questions. You wouldn't just think of asking for God for it, would you? And he's alliterating to the fact that, of course not. Well, why not? Because you know that you'd be asking for what you have no right to. But I want it. Like I have, I have five little kids. Sometimes it feels like it's 12 all the time, every day. 
because they're eight years and younger, so I never sleep. Thanks for the prayers. Appreciate it. The first thing that my kids learn, it seems like the first thing, in my memory it's the first thing, is this idea of the word mine. And my two-year-old, I have eight, six, four, I think she's about to turn five, two, and then like six weeks old. She's great, she's a dream. But the two-year-old, the two-year-old bosses the other kids around all the time. You're like, how is this little pint size? He's eight, you're all girls. Why are you, you are a boss baby. And it's because she's sitting here establishing what? What she wants. It's mine, she says. Now, it's easy to laugh at that with a two-year-old. It's not so funny when you see it happening with a 22-year-old. And yet so many times, that's how we act. But it's mine. But I want it. But this isn't fair. Don't tell me what I can't do. Don't tell me what I can't have. You're not the boss of me. See, it's baked into us naturally, this tension. And James starts to take this idea that you want everything your own way and he starts to equate it now. Now it stops to get personal, it starts to get spiritual. He says, listen, I get that you want that, I get that's how you are, but now he takes it into the relationship element of God. He takes it just from what we should do versus what we want to do to maybe what God wants versus what we want. And he uses it through the language of a relationship. And so if you've ever been in a relationship, whether it was incredible or whether it was toxic, whether it was short or whether it was long, you know the language of relationships. We all get this. The language of relationships, the idea that cheating on somebody is a no-no. You don't do that. And even if you have no moral compass, seemingly, you would still agree that cheating on someone probably isn't the best thing. That's not the goal. And yet James says, whenever you say you have a faith, but you don't back it up with your lifestyle, whenever you have a lot of knowledge about God, but you don't actually figure out how to learn who he is, you don't actually know him, whenever you just fight to get whatever it is that you want all the time and you live in that tension of what I want versus what God wants, here's what he says you're doing. He says, listen guys, you're cheating on God. Like, dang. Never, I'm not a cheater. <laughs> what? But when you start to think about this idea of having a relationship with him, if we wanna do what he wants us to do, and all we choose to do is what we wanna do, then maybe that tension isn't just within ourselves, maybe it's actually with God. Maybe we're actually cheating on this relationship with him. If all you ever pursue is what you want, then you can't actually say you have an active faith. You're not walking it like you talk it because the walk is different from the talk. He says, listen, you're cheating on God. Here's why. If all that you want is your own way, flirting with the world every single chance that you get, you end up enemies of God in his way. And again, this is super aggressive. Like, calm down. Please chill out. Like, go eat that pint of ice cream, James. All right, eat your feelings because quit giving them to me. I'm not an enemy of God. And maybe this is where we need to change some of the mindsets. We often think that I'm not doing anything bad. I'm just doing what I wanna do. And it's not awful. It's not bad. It may not be what God wants me to do, but it's just kind of what I wanna do. Like, listen, I'm not following Satan. <laughs> I'm not worshiping him. I'm not doing what the devil wants. 
And what James is saying is, in life, we think there are three paths. I can do what I want to do. I can do what God wants me to do. Or I can do what the enemy wants me to do. And all of us would say, whether you have a faith or not, well, no, of course I'm not going to do what the enemy wants to do. I may not always do what God wants me to do. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And James is saying, listen, if you are trying to do what you want to do all the time, this is a facade. This is the path of the enemy. What other thing would he want to do other than steal and kill and destroy your life from the full life that God would offer than by making you think you're not really doing that bad, you're just doing what you want to do. You choosing your own path, your own kingdom, your own choices, what you want first is actually the enemy's path. There are only two choices. The third one doesn't exist. And so when you don't walk it like you talk it, And when you don't back up your faith with your lifestyle, you're not following God. You're actually following what the enemy wants for you. He has tricked you. He's tricked you into thinking that it's all about you. He's tricked you into thinking it's not really that bad. Like just a little bit of compromise. It's okay. He's tricked you into this. You have been deceived. And then he goes back into the relationship language. He says, listen, (laughs) do you suppose that God doesn't care? If you were in a relationship and the person you're in a relationship with all of a sudden started doing everything they wanted to do and not what is best for the two of you, would you care? Of course you would. You'd have a DTR so fast, you'd be texting, we need to talk. And then you'd be getting the butterflies in your stomach and things wouldn't be good. No, this would be a nightmare for the relationship. So he's saying like, listen, it's the exact same thing with God. Do you suppose that God doesn't care? No, 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 let me tell you some truth. The proverb, the truth, the wisdom, the anchor we can have, the proverb has it, this, this is what it says, that he is a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. And maybe tonight, Maybe at the end of this series, maybe right in the middle of your second semester, or maybe tonight as a small group, if you're watching online, no matter where you are, maybe tonight the thing you need to understand is this, is that what God wants for you, the relationship he wants for you, the reality of the life that he has for you, it's far better. It's far better than anything else that you'll find. And so I think that maybe for some of us tonight, that's just a level of awareness that we need to open our eyes to. So if James is sitting here talking to you saying like, listen, you wanna walk it like you talk it? If Eugene Peterson's saying like, listen, this is where we get serious, you wanna get serious? I think the very first thing he'd say to you is you need to take the blindfold off. You need to quit being deceived. Listen, guys, you literally, you, you need to wake up. Wake up. Quit thinking that you can say you have this active faith, but not back it up with what actually is happening in your life. It's fake. It's not real. You can know a lot about God, but completely miss God. That was me before I was 17. And then I had to wake up. 
And the moment I woke up, it didn't mean that all of a sudden everything was rose-colored and beautiful and great and incredible. No, it meant I was aware to a decision that I had to make. You see, James continues on. After you wake up, here's what he says. He says, it's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud, but he gives grace to the willing humble. See, what it means to be the, the willful proud, that person, it means that I'm gonna choose what I want. I'm proud, my pride is elevated. And it says that God goes against that person, meaning you're actually following the enemy's path. But he gives grace to the willful and the willing humble. And I think for me, if I'm honest, especially when I was 17 and even when I went through college and even now as a 35-year-old with 17 children, okay? I have a really hard time with grace. Grace doesn't make sense in my mind because I live in a world of fair. It's not fair. We say that all the time. We say it as kids. It's not fair. And even when you look at the world around you and you're like, we don't live in a world of fair. Look at how much is not fair. Look at how many things are wrong. Look at all the injustice. That shows you we live in a world of fair because you have the context of what's not fair. And I live in a world of fair. My mindset is built on reciprocation. It's hard for me to receive gifts and not feel like I have to automatically give something else back. Some of you may be like, not me. I can take all the gifts in the world. You wanna, you wanna practice on me? I'll take them all. I feel great. Not me. I can't. Somebody opens the door for me, I feel like I gotta open it for them. And it's this opposite of grace. And so I've equated grace in my mind, I think for a long time with forgiveness. Grace is this second chance. It's taking the, the problem and getting rid of it. It doesn't exist anymore. That's what grace is. But when James actually talks about grace right here in James 4, 6, the word here in the Greek that actually finds its root in the Hebrew, it doesn't have to do with maybe what we think grace is. See, the, the word grace here, grace actually means favor. Now, favor is not a word we use often. And maybe you think favor is even confusing, like, okay, so I give a favor. No, it means to have favor. And even that was confusing for me, so then I look at the definition. Here's what favor actually means. It means that which affords, kind of confusing, I'll explain. That which affords delight and loveliness. So when it says that God gives grace, which means he gives favor, it means he gives you favor as a gift because he's delighted in you. Because he sees that you are lovely and worthy of favor. And you think about it in that way, you're like, wait a minute. But do you know what I've done? <laughs> do you know how I always choose what I want and not what you want? And yet you, you offer me grace if I would just be humble? Maybe, maybe there's something, to, the way I'm living that doesn't line up. Is, is grace still available to me? And, and James would sit here and say the exact same thing that his half-brother Jesus would say. And he would say, yeah, it is available to you. It's available to you right now. God looks at you exactly as you are and he says, listen, you are delightful. I am delighted in you. You are a treasure to me. You are lovely to me. You are worthy of being loved to me. I want to you. I wanna give to you that gift. He wants to give it to you. And the best part about gifts, especially you gift receivers, you're like, oh yeah, I love this part, is that gifts and favor is free. Favor is free. And some of you tonight need to know, listen, you don't have to go and get clean before you come to God. You just come to God and he will make you clean. 
There is nothing you have to go and make right with God before he wants to love you, before he wants to be delighted in you, before he wants to say you are lovely. You don't have to earn a checklist and do enough to get to where God is. God's done everything for you so you didn't have to, to come down to where you were, to live the life you never could, to die the death that you deserved, hang on that cross, and then bury in the ground three days later. He rose from the grave so that you can have life. And he looks at you right now and he says, you're worthy of it. It's for you. It's available for you right now. It's free. That's the best news some of you are ever gonna hear. You can be following your own path your entire life. You can be following the enemy's path and not even be aware of it your entire life and then right now realize that favor is free and it should free you up from wearing the mantle and the weight of feeling like you have to be or do enough. James is saying, listen, it's free. And he gives it to the willing humble. So, so let God work his will in you. And this is, I think, where you really see the reality of the paths. Saying, as you let God work his will in you, listen, I want you to yell aloud, no, to the devil. Say it if you have to, yell it if you need to, but yell a no to the devil and here's what will happen. It's a promise. You can watch him make himself scarce. Like you don't want the temptation, you don't want the fight, you don't want that. Say no to him and he'll run. Speak truth to him. He doesn't know what to do with it because he's a liar. He's a deceiver. He wants to trick you. And when you do that, here's what you follow it up with. You say a quiet yes to God and he will be there in no time. So quit dabbling in sin. And even that word sin sometimes I think can trip us up and make us feel real bad and and real convicted and real awful because the reality is, this is again the truth you need to understand, that when you follow your own path, which means you're actually following what the enemy wants for you, you're living in sin. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's not what God would desire for you. And if there are only two paths and you're choosing what the enemy would want for you, then it's not what he would want for you. And, he's, and James is saying, listen, stop. Quit dabbling in it. Quit thinking it's not a big deal. He would look at you and he'd say, listen, wake up. Wake up. But, but after you wake up, I want you to do something. I don't want you to just be aware. I want you to do something. I want you to turn around. I want you to quit dabbling in sin and be aware that when you are walking this path, doing what is actually not what God wants for you, when you're not walking it like you actually can talk it, when you're doing this, I want you to turn around and look at what it's like to say yes to God and say no to the enemy. Look at what it's like to say yes to God and watch what happens when he shows up and he embraces you and he loves you even though you don't deserve it. Try to outrun him. Try. Try to mess up so much that his grace can't cover you. It's impossible. So wake up and then turn around and look at him. And he says, as you do this, watch what starts to happen in your life. Be aware of what you're doing. Because this is what turning around looks like. He says, I want you to purify your inner life. Because when you make the decision physically to turn towards him, it will change something inside of you. Quit playing the field. Here's the dating language. Quit playing the field. 
hit bottom and cry your eyes out. And I think this is what we're afraid of. I know I was. Whenever we run to something or someone to get a feeling in some way, it's because we're afraid of what's on the other side of that pain. We try to avert pain every chance we get. And so we medicate, and so we drink, and so we cross lines, and we chase a feeling, and our life is built around our emotions of trying to do whatever it takes to avert the pain because we're afraid of it. And James is saying, Get, guys, listen, it's, we gotta stop. We gotta stop. The fun in the games, your own path, it's over. If you want to walk it like you talk it. And then here's the big idea of the entire chapter. He says, so what do we do? We get serious. Really serious. Get serious about your faith. Get serious about your future. Get serious about what life looks like. Quit letting other people hold the keys to your future. No one else has to determine what you choose to make of your life. No matter what has happened to you, you have the ability to go find wisdom, to go find healing, to go find help, and to take the keys back from the people that have taken it from you. So get serious really serious. How do you do that? Here's what you do. You get down. You get down on your knees before the Lord. Because when you do, it's the only way that you'll ever get on your feet. See, favor is free. You don't need to remember that. But what he's saying is, listen, favor is free. It's a gift available to you. But if you don't want it, you can't have it. I mean, it's like a gift. If, if I try to continuously give my son a gift and he continuously says, no, I don't want it. Eventually I'm gonna say, all right, cool. I'm just gonna keep it for myself. Like he has to receive the gift that's available to him. You have to receive the gift that's available to you. Favor is free. You can find yourself fully delighted in how God views you and who he views you to be. Did you know that you're not a mistake? God did not look at you and say, dang it, messed up on that one. She's too kind. Never happened. When God designed you and he made you, he made you exactly as he wanted to make you. How do I know that? Matt, how is that true? Because of what I know about God. Because he's perfect. And if God's perfect, he's never made a mistake. And he didn't make a mistake with you. You can find that truth for yourself. To live fully alive inside of. To realize that God views you as delightful and lovely. You can receive that favor. But repentance is required. Walking it like you talk it can't happen if you continue to do whatever you wanna do. If all you're doing is what you wanna do, then you're looking at the gift that God's offering you and you're saying like, yeah, but it's not enough. It's not good enough. I get, I get that you may have things that you think are better for me than I'm ever gonna know, but I'm just gonna do what I wanna do. You can't receive that favor without repentance, without turning to him. And I think for a lot of us, whether we've already turned to him, but we just run back, we go put those death clothes on again, we go back into the grave of the life we used to live, filled with the awful things, to chase the feeling, whether that's us or whether we've never actually turned, 
I think there's a, a thing within us that's hesitant to do that sometimes because we look at what we have on this side. Let's just real talk. We look at the relationships that we have that we've, per, uh, that we've gained on this side and we think, yeah, but I don't wanna give those up. We look at the lifestyle we're living and it's fun. It's a lot of freaking fun to live however you wanna do a lot of the time. And God's saying like, yeah, but I got more for you. And you may have to give it up. Relationships you may have to walk out of. People you may have to let down. Life decisions that may change the trajectory of your life you may have to make. And those are sometimes really hard to do. It was really, really hard for me at 17 to look at the relationship I'd been in for two years where I was crossing boundaries and not living as I wanted to actually live and say, I can't do this anymore. And to break someone's heart. But if I didn't do that, I would have destroyed my own. You may have to make tough decisions to follow God. It should be super easy. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It should not be tough to follow Jesus, but it's costly. It will cost you something to die to yourself, to find life in him. And that may keep some of us from actually doing that. And what I wanna encourage you to do is to know a little bit about God. See, James In the ESV, the actual translation, he talks about this promise we have that lets us know about the character of God that I think changes the way we're gonna approach this idea of waking up and turning around, this idea of this really hard word, repentance. Look at James chapter four, verse eight in the ESV. It says, hey, if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. If you would draw near to God, he will draw near to you. You can have proximity to him. He is not going to see you turn and say, that's awesome, keep coming. Uh-huh, yeah, a little more. Yep, I get, you're almost there. You got a little bit more work to do before you can really have me. James is saying, no, 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 listen. The moment you turn, God is standing right there with his arms open saying, come on, I've been waiting the whole time. If you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. That's part of his character. That's a promise we can believe in. Whether you have a faith or not, if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So listen, guys, you wanna walk it like you talk it. You need to wake up. You need to turn around. You need to draw near. Because when you draw near to God, what's going to happen is you're gonna realize all of a sudden, that spiritual intellect that you may have turns into spiritual intimacy. That religion that you think this is turns into a relationship. And all the games start to fade away because no longer do you feel like you need some hit, some drug, some girl, some future, some class, some grade. You don't need any of it. You can confidently look at your life and say, if I lost everything but only had you, God, it'd be enough. Because I find everything I need in you. Because you offer me favor. You offer me forgiveness. You offer me life. Jesus has come so that you may have life and life to the full. But do you want it? Favor is free. Repentance is required. So wake up, turn around, and draw near. Get on your knees before the Lord because it's the only way you're ever gonna get on your feet.
So what does it look like in your life to trust him? To say, God, I don't, I don't wanna give these things up though. You don't understand how much I want them, how much I fought for them, how long I've prayed to you for them. I don't wanna open my hands up and say, okay, but, but can I still have them? I don't wanna ask you if you'll provide that for me because I know that maybe I'm just doing what I wanna do, but I wanna figure out how to walk it like I talk it. I wanna figure out how to have a faith that's real and not fake. I want to actually find full life and it not depend fully on me. When you start to ask these questions, what you're doing is you're drawing near, you're getting close, and you're realizing that when God looks at you, he loves you exactly as he finds you. And that should be the greatest news ever. That's what we need to wake up to, is that God's, God's offer for you is his favor. It requires repentance, because that means you want it. But when you do, he is there waiting to hold you and to love you and to show you how delighted he is in you. It's easy, it's just costly. So what I wanna do is pray for y'all because I know how difficult it can be. I know how tough it can be to make hard decisions to follow Jesus, but I promise you it's worth it. And James promises you through the entire book, the last four weeks, what Samer's been saying and what I've said tonight, promises you it's worth it and it's better and it's more than you could ever dream of. Do you want it? That's up to you. But let's wake up. Let's turn around. Let's draw near. So I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna give you all a chance to do that through worship. When you just reflect that love right back at him, if you're in your own room by yourself, if you're with your small group, if you're in this room, Let's draw near and see what God would have for us. Watch him show up as we worship, as we reflect, as we think, and as we ask God to take us from knowing about him to truly knowing him, because that's what he wants. So Father, thank you. <laughs> thank you for loving us first. Thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves. Thank you for, for showing us grace and offering us favor because we don't deserve it. None of us do. And yet for some reason, simply because we are your child and you made us, and as a father, I understand this, but these students may not, so allow them to understand it, Father, that simply because we are your children, you love us. And we are lovely because you love us. So God, I pray that we would wake up tonight and we would turn around that we would want that favor and that we would choose that repentance from whatever it is in our life that we need to turn away from. God, would you make it clear to us? Would you provide clarity in our life of what it is we need to give up to turn to you? And I pray that when we do, God, when we draw near to you, that you would allow us to see that you're right there because you love us. And so as we come near you, as we draw near to you, God, I ask that you would draw near to us that's what we need. So thank you for loving us first. We love you right back. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.